Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. We are all about journeying with Jesus, exploring more and more and more of what it is to, to live life with God. The Bible says that although Jesus, you know, he's not physically present with us here today. You know, you could look around the room, but you know, you can't see him with your natural eyes. But Jesus said, it's better for you that I return to my father. And do you know why? You're not sure. You're thinking about it. Jesus said, I'm going to ask my father, who is also your father, through the cross, through the resurrection, through new life in me, Jesus said, I'm going to ask this wondrous father to send the promised Holy Spirit in my name. Last Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. Oh, I thought that deserved a little whoop. But... uh, we remember, don't we, that first exciting moment when the Holy Spirit was poured out in a new way upon Jesus' believers, his, his disciples, those who want to follow him. And even to this day, God is pouring out his Spirit on people who follow Jesus. Is anybody here who follows Jesus? Yeah? Do you know what it is to receive the wonder-working power of the Spirit in your life? Anybody here this morning? Hey, come on, we can do some, we can do some pressing in in this as well. Uh, these last two Tuesdays and the Sundays just gone by, we've been seeking God's spirit to be at work in our church, that he might uh, enable us within gifts that he's promised, that he's given to his church. These last two Tuesdays, uh, those of you who've been there, we've had a bit of fun in the evening, haven't we? Yeah, we have. We've been listening to God and people have been sharing words that God has given to them so that they might encourage one another and build one another up. God speaks to his people. Shock, horror, surprise, wonder. (laughs) Not only that, but just this last Tuesday, we were praying for people. And I said, is anybody here who's not well or in pain? And one person kind of snuck their hand up. And I said, I don't believe you all. There are more people here that aren't well. I wasn't speaking something negative over people. It's just that's the truth of it. Eventually, a few hands went up. We started praying for people and seeking God's healing touch and his miracle working touch in their lives and as we prayed and sought God and well we were a little persistent it's all right to be persistent with God isn't it you okay with that as we prayed and sought God three people were completely set free from pain that was a good thing wasn't it oh, I think it was better than that but you know that might just be me I would encourage you to keep on seeking God and seeking what God is doing you're going to be gathering again this Tuesday in your transform labs sharing communion, seeking God. Pray for one another. Pray for one another that you may be set free. Set free from sickness, set free from pain, set free from trouble. Pray for one another and listen to God that God might speak words of encouragement and healing and hope into the lives of each other. Do you know that God wants to use you to do this? A few of you are thinking, ooh, little old me, little young me, big, whoever you are. Yes, you. Look at somebody near you and say, yes, you. Don't be gentle about this either. Yes, you. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's incredible that God has chosen to subject the advances of his kingdom to partnership with his people. He doesn't have to do this, but he's chosen to do so. The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and it's those people who have got that energy, that force about them that lay hold of it. 
actually God wants to do his work through his people to his glory. And you get to be a part of this. I'm going to keep on going until you start smiling at me. You grumpy bunch. So, keep on pressing into God. Next Sunday, it's already been mentioned, uh, make sure you're here early in the Sunday morning. Um, we have got something absolutely amazing. That It's really good. It's properly good. Properly good for all of the blokes of the church. Ladies, you can, I don't know, I might find you something. I, to be honest, I don't, I don't care that much. But, uh, you know, it's, this, is, this is all about the blokes, to be honest, on this day. Bring, yeah, amen. I hear, yeah. Okay. Because it's all about the blokes, there is a chance, a slight chance that there may be food involved. Okay. Yeah, now you're getting excited. <laughs> all right. Um, we are, over these current weeks, we are, we're plugging into to answering some questions from Scripture because the Bible is not some dusty old book that you can put up on a shelf and then go about your life and ignore it. Actually, the Bible speaks to us today about the things that are troubling you or worrying you or intriguing you, things that you're uncertain about or I'd love to know more about. And so I asked you, Tell me what your questions are. And and many of you, you did. You threw in your questions. I started to study. And, uh, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I I resent you a little by now uh, because your questions are really difficult. And uh, (laughs) we're we're doing our best to answer these questions. Thanks uh, be to God. It's not about me and whether I'm clever enough. It's about the word of God. And uh, we believe that the spirit of God will convey his truth, his wisdom, his understanding to our hearts. That's our prayer this morning. Um, we gather, and it seems we gather every week and there's something unusual or strange or troubling or even tragic happening in our world or, or close to home. And uh, you know, this week is no exception. We gather as a church in a country uh, in something of a strange state of affairs. Don't worry, I'm not gonna talk about politics a lot this morning. Don't you worry. It's gonna be a politics-free zone. I thought it would be a large amen for that, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's fair enough though, isn't it? Our country's a little bit topsy-turvy, a little confused perhaps. What had seemed so certain to so many has been proved to be anything but. And, uh, you know, we, we don't accuse people. That's not the calling of a Christian. No point in judging. In fact, if we judge, then that same measure of judgment comes upon us. Uh, whoop. <laughs> Did you hear that? That was the Bible. That was the Bible, yeah, yeah, okay. Single mandate that you have regards to politicians. One mandate, one mandate, just one. Pray for them with thanksgiving, that's it, that's it. And do you know the person who wrote that? The guy who was leading his world was killing Christians. Yeah? He was stringing them up in the streets and using them as human torches. And yet Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, pray for your leaders with thanksgiving. Now, when the leaders of your country start killing Christians. It's a ridiculous statement, I know. But if that were to be true, then what? Then the Bible would still be true. Pray for your leaders with thanksgiving. Christian, you have no mandate, no mandate for words of accusation, judgment, bitterness, hate, or malice. In fact, if you indulge in those things, you quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Can't have both. Can't have both. Can't have the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh. Can't be done. Can't be done. 
I don't mean to talk about politics. What happened? Anyhow, we presume too quickly. We're quick to speak and quick to anger. The Bible says be slow. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Quick to... Anybody? Listen. That's your mandate, Christian. That's your mandate. If you live that, you'll change your society. Not any other way. Promise you. Promise you. Anyhow, just as in 2010, just as in 2015, just as last year, same this year, many are wondering as to what it all means, how then we ought to live, and how some people ought to lead in the confusion. In this context, it seems like such a good week to address this question. The question we have for today is, and this was asked by somebody, is everything part of God's plan? That's a good question, isn't it? There's a second part to the question. We're going to come to that later. But is everything part of God's plan? Have you ever made plans in life? Have you ever made plans? Are you a planner? Are you a planner? I love to plan. The thing that I love to plan the most is trips, you know, and holidays and things like that. It's pretty obvious why, isn't it? It's not fun to plan your grocery shopping, not really. But it's fun, fun to plan a trip abroad or something like that. And so I, I research and I find out things and you, you, you try and tailor all your flights, don't you, just so? Because you don't want to just go to someone and get, it to do, to get them to do it for you because if you do it yourself, you might save like five quid. And, uh, and oh, the joy. Seven hours of my life, five pounds. So worth it, so worth it. I've beaten the system. Uh, love to plan in this way, don't we? we? We love to plan. I think it's inbuilt in us from kind of quite an early, early age. And we, we come up with little schemes, don't we? Little plans, little dreams, things that we think, this is a good idea. Has anybody had a good idea that maybe turned into not so good an idea? Yeah? I was thinking about some of the plans and the schemes and the ideas of my life as uh, I was preparing to talk with you this morning. I thought about one in particular from our childhood, and uh, I forget which one, of it was, which one of us it was, whether it was Vic or me, found an enormous spool of red cord, red thread. And, uh, well, it just it spoke possibility to us. <laughs> yeah? We thought, that there's, there's something in this. There is a scheme to be hatched. A plan to be made. And uh, we hadn't thought it all through, but we thought there's a lot of it, so I reckon we can do something quite significant with this wool or thread or whatever it was. And so we waited until an evening when our parents were otherwise occupied. Because oftentimes the best schemes have to be done when your parents are occupied, isn't that right? Yeah, and, uh, and we waited until they were occupied in the living room with a meeting of the, the leaders of the church and the door was closed and we were doing our homework, I think, <laughs> something like that. And we decided this, this spool of thread, what it really, it's, it's calling to us, it's speaking to us. What it wants to do is it wants to be spun throughout the whole stairway and landing from every conceivable nook and cranny in order to form a spider's web to end all spider's webs. And then through said web, we will crawl and play, and it will be splendid. I want to point out, I didn't do this when I was 18 or anything. We were quite, <laughs> we were quite young at the point. And so we got to work, and, and you know, we really invested in this because you know, a good plan takes a bit of effort. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, you know this. And so we started to tie it to door handles and to windows and around every bit of the banister. And we tied it to everything that wouldn't move and to light fittings and everywhere. In those days, you didn't have camera phones. It's such a shame. I wish I could show you a picture of it. Maybe we should recreate it someday, yeah? Yeah, okay, yeah, amen. Um, but uh, we, we made it, and we settled down to see the fruit of our labors. It was wonderful. It's one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. It was amazing. And, uh, and at that point, the door to the lounge where our parents were cracked open a little, just enough so that we could see one eyeball, just one. And it was in that moment when we saw that eyeball, an eyeball can be very expressive. <laughs> Just one. And it was in that moment that we realized our plan wasn't a good plan. And there was the entire leadership of the church locked in the living room. Uh, I'd like to say we regret it. No, we don't regret it. <laughs> Plans. Plans, they... Uh, they sometimes seem good, sometimes seem wise, sometimes seem fun. They go uh, wrong oftentimes. There's a, a famous phrase, Scottish poet Robert Burns, he said, the, well, he said it in Scottish, I'm not going to try, but he said, the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry. They go wrong. They go wonky. Yeah? And it's oftentimes human experience that this is true. Today, we're thinking about a plan that we would hope, we would trust, is rather more well-researched than some of our plans, rather more well-put-together. So a plan that we, we, we'd love to know that there was a plan that we can build our lives upon, right? We'd love to know that there was something substantial about our lives, something that we can trust in, something that is always going to work, yeah? Now, I know you're a capable bunch of people, and sometimes you, you make schemes and plans and, you know, you probably surprise yourself, but, you know, you shouldn't because you're really impressive people in many ways. Sometimes, indeed, always at some point, we come to the end of ourselves, don't we? Yes. Plans finish and wisdom ends and we need something that's more substantial, indeed greater than us. We're looking at the plans of God. Does God have a plan? Oh, we're done. Excellent. <laughs> he has a plan. We can sit down. Awesome. God, yeah, let's explore it. If God has a plan, how might he want to deliver it? If we can understand this, I, I, I would suggest to you we'd be better placed to understand the ways of the world. Uh, it's a good thing. The Bible talks about a group of people. They were from a, a tribe in Israel called Issachar. And they, the Bible says they knew the times, they understood it, and what they should do about it, how they should live in the light of it. It's a, it's a good example for us. I would say perhaps even more important than that, if we know God's will, God's plans, then we might start to understand ourselves a bit better too. And who knows that your own self can be the most confusing thing. Do you know that? Yeah, don't be distracted. Do you know that you, you can be the most confusing thing sometimes? Yeah, we need to know what God's will is so that we might understand the world so that we might understand ourselves and how we're supposed to live first up 
the Bible tells us some really important and encouraging things about our God. The Bible says that God is all-knowing. There's a big fancy theology word that we use for that. We say omniscient. Sounds very fancy, doesn't it? It means that God knows everything. Everything. Yeah? I know sometimes when you're growing up, young people, kids, you, 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 you think somehow your parents seem to know everything. Yeah? You, you, you seem to be kind of a... Yeah, some, of the, some of the young people are shaking their heads like, my parents don't know everything. Yeah, they, they kind of seem to. And, you know, in those moments when you're doing something wrong, there they are. They pop up from nowhere. How did they know? And uh, they seem able to read your mind and read your heart. And truth is, it's because they were quite a bit like you when they were younger and uh, probably got up to some... No, they didn't. Beautiful, wonderful people. Never did anything wrong. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. but uh, God actually does know everything he actually does now the way that we can understand this is because God is not limited in time or space God is eternal and that doesn't mean that he's been around a long time or that he's dead old or he's going to be around a long time it means that time is something he created it doesn't even exist for him except as he chooses to dip in and out of it. God looks at the past and the present and the future. He knows it all. It's all there for him. And space is not something that he is within. You know, you and I, we're within a body, aren't we? Within a room, within a town, within a, an area, within a country, and da-da-da-da-da, you can go on and on and on. God isn't. God is everywhere. He can be because he is actually beyond dimensions. He made them so that we wouldn't get horribly lost. And, you know. <laughs> but God is beyond all these things, so no wonder he can know and does know everything. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's even a good thing when we actually err on the side of the evil rather than the good because we need God to draw us back to himself this is what we need the eyes of the Lord everywhere but God is not simply some all-knowing yet distant brain God has a will he wants he desires certain things some of them that people should flourish and prosper in his creation do you know that's God's desire he wants people actually to benefit within his created order. God wants people to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. These are things that God desires, he wants. God wants all people to be saved. Did you know that to be true? He wants it. He actually desires that. Now God's will it's not really like our will. When we hear the idea of a will, I don't know what your mind goes to. Maybe you think of a last will and testament, that it's somehow a hoped-for disposal of assets. God's will is not quite like that. And God doesn't impose his will. Sometimes when we think of the, the human will, we think of something that is, is forced or, or that somehow has to lower another person's will so that we get our way. God's will is not like that. He doesn't impose through temper or arrogance. God's will, it's made up of a number of things, in fact. First up, there is his sovereign will. God is the creator 
and the sustainer of all things. We sang earlier, didn't we? It's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise. Pour out my praise. It's God's sovereign will that you woke up this morning. <laughs> okay, it's not just because you kind of managed to start your body somehow. God chose that you would be alive this day, that there would be breath for you to breathe and that you'd be here today, in fact. God is in ultimate control. That is what it is for him to be sovereign. Nothing exists without him. And God has actually prescribed will. He's given law. He's given boundaries. He's given structure to his creation. You know, you go to the doctor and they might write you a prescription, yeah? They prescribe something for you because they know that if you do X, Y, and Z or take A, B, and C, then you'll get better. It's a similar kind of idea with God. He knows how we live best. And so he gives a prescribed, a, a moral will that he wishes us, that he wills for us to live within. And though we get it wrong, though we fail, though we do things that are contrary to God's will, it doesn't change his will. It doesn't make his will wrong. It doesn't make his will weak. It just means that actually there's work to be done in our lives. And lastly, there's God's will. That's another strange word, but God's will of disposition. That is the things that please God. What pleases you? This is a question that all young people should be asking of their fathers before next Sunday, yeah? We've got one dad amen there, but uh, yeah. What pleases somebody? You want to know this, don't you? Before their birthday or before Christmas, or whatever it might be. You know, Aaron and I were asking ourselves this about Judah at the moment, because it's his birthday coming up, and, and obviously uh, he needs things. Um, that's what I'm told at any rate. And so we think, well, what does he like? What does he want? Truth is, he's pretty much happy if he just gets a cuddle from one of his parents, and lots of food, and if he, he gets his, you know, tushy cleaned, and, you know, sleep, and these are the things that please him, really. All of the little trinkets and things that we, we get for him, I think they please us more than they please, yeah, okay, Aaron's nodding at me. Uh, we get these things, it's fun for us. You want to know how a person is pleased. God is pleased by certain things. God is pleased by holy lives, lives that honor him. God is pleased when the strong take care of the weak. This pleases God. God is pleased when the outsider is welcomed in. God is pleased to provide for our needs. So God knows all things. God has a will. He has desires. And God is also guiding and enabling his will for his creation, especially through his people. And that's what's known as providence. Things don't happen in our world because of blind luck or good fortune. You know? For the believer, our principal mode of operation is within God's favor, yeah? God's providence. And God, through all of the incredible grand story of coming to save people, you read the Bible, it's a love story. 
God loves people and is pursuing them and wanting to save them from their own worst impulses and the consequences of rebellion. God is drawing people back to himself through all of this. We see that God does things. They seem insignificant in the moment. They seem just out on a limb. And yet God is dovetailing things, bringing all things together so that his will might be accomplished. You read some of these stories in the Bible. And, you know, you're not the hero of the Bible, so let's not get confused. Jesus is the hero. But when you read some of these stories in the Bible, do you read the story of a man named Joseph in the book of Genesis and read all of the roller coaster of his life and the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs? And is there a little bit of you that says, God, thank you for doing that so that I might be saved? (laughs) So that I might read these incredible words and be directed in my living. Thousands of years removed from us. Thousands of miles removed from us. And yet, his story is a part of your story. It's incredible, isn't it? That God might bring all of these things together so that you might be blessed and benefited, ultimately so that you might be saved. God works his will. You can probably share stories, can't you, of how God has worked his will in your life. You know, maybe you've been at a low ebb. Maybe you've been out on a limb yourself. Maybe you've done things wrong and you felt you're washed up or done for and yet God has worked things together. Maybe he's surprised you. Anyone ever been surprised by God? Yeah, it's pretty much all of us. (laughs) God brings things together. The Bible says, for the good of those who are in him, who are called according to his purpose. God orchestrates wonderfully. There's an old way of saying this, a Westminster Confession of Faith, and it it puts it like this. God, the great creator of all things, and forgive me, there is some old language here, so he's going to doth, but it means he does. Okay, but uh, you, you you can follow it, I'm sure. God, the creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose and govern all creatures, actions and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible, that means he never gets it wrong, foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will to the praise and glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness and mercy. I think God's got it. (laughs) Are you feeling a little bit more at peace? (laughs) I think it's a good thing. Remind yourself that God is in control. Sometimes, you know, circumstances whirl and swirl around us and we try and remind ourselves that we're in control. How's that working out for you? Remind yourself that God is in control. Your part, and you have a part, you can play it wonderfully. Your part is not to be in control. Your part is to know the will of God and do according to his calling. Yeah? You'll you'll be at most at peace there, I promise you. You try and be in control of things, you'll find that peace, well, it's quite elusive. Know that God is in control. Find your part to play. There's a work for you to do. Don't be a slacker. Come on. When you find that, do it according to his will. Peace. Peace.
peace, peace. God knows all things. He has a perfect will, orchestrating all things according to his will, even for our benefit. Sometimes we disbelieve it. We feel forgotten, maybe even forgotten by God. Sometimes circumstances, things are against us. Sometimes we feel pressed under pressure, in pain. Things don't seem right. Sometimes I want to remind you, people of God, we are a people of faith and not of fear. That's not flicking a switch. That's where are you placing? Where are you placing your trust? Where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your life? We are a people of faith and not of fear. Things often make sense in the end. As, you know, you, you, you say these things and you think that, that'll be an encouragement. That's not an encouragement, is it? Who wants things to make sense in the end? I want things to make sense right now. Yeah? <laughs> Making sense in the end, that, you know, that's fine for someone else. But I want things right now to make sense. It doesn't happen very often, does it? It doesn't happen very often at all. We mentioned a guy named uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis already. And I don't know whether you know his roller coaster life, but he was, he was an incredibly gifted young man, gifted by God, in fact, with a real clear calling on his life. But he was also a bit of an arrogant so-and-so. You probably wouldn't have liked him. In fact, the only person who liked him, we know for certain, was his dad. And his dad had to like him. Yeah, that's how it goes, isn't it? But his brothers, they didn't like him at all. They sold him into slavery. That's quite extreme, not liking. Erin was telling me just the other day of a, a childhood reminiscence where her elder sister put her in a large cardboard box. Yeah. I don't know how much agreement there was in this. I think there was some. And then she, she sealed up the cardboard box and she wrote on the cardboard box, return to sender, Timbuktu. <laughs> and then the cardboard box was placed on the curb of the street outside the house. <laughs> I'm reliably informed that they love each other very much. But uh, well, that's one thing, isn't it? And it was mostly a joke. It's another thing for Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. I think even in our worst moments, we wouldn't sell our siblings into slavery, would we? Okay, I was hoping for a bit of an amen from over here, but I don't know, think about it. Tragic. We can joke, but in reality, horrific. In slavery, then wrongly accused by his boss's wife of something he didn't do, wouldn't dreamed of doing, flung into prison nonetheless. And in prison, though, he was trying to do what was right. In fact, his character was getting a lot, 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 lot better. He was still forgotten, yep. neglected, rejected. And it was only by the miraculous working of God, not through his own scheming, not through his own plans, it was only by the miraculous working of God that he finds restoration, that he's elevated to a place of responsibility, of authority, of possibility. And in that place... Because God's worked everything together for good. Here come his brothers. What a surprise. They don't look too good. They look a bit shabby. They look like they haven't eaten in a while. They look like they've traveled on a long journey. There's desperation in their eyes. Because there was famine back at home. Joseph was able to be the means of them being saved. 
says in Genesis 50 and verse 20, it says, do you know what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. So that through me, Joseph is saying, many might be saved. Many might be rescued. This is what God worked through even those circumstances, even those phenomenal circumstances. Sometimes, more than one thing is happening at once. You ever gone to the park and you see a duck on the water? Yeah? You ever, you ever done this? Some of you should get out more. Um, go to the park, it's nice. Um, and you see a duck on the, on the, on the surface and, the, and they look, I was going to say serene, I don't know whether a duck ever looks serene, but they look steady, don't they? They look steady on the surface and they're, they're getting from A to B, things are happening. But you know, don't you, that underneath the surface, yeah, those, those little, uh, what do they have? Flippers? Paddles? Feet? An engine? No, I don't. <laughs> they're going like crazy, aren't they? Aren't they? This is news to some of you. It's what's happening. It's mental underneath the surface. And there they are, just put, 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 put along the top. But crazy underneath the surface. Sometimes there's a couple of things happening at once. If you were to ask that duck, would you like everything to be all peaceful on top and peaceful underneath and still get to, from A to B? The duck would probably say, if ducks could talk, <laughs> yes, thank you very much. It's not the way it goes. I would say to you in life, that's rarely, if ever, the way it goes. For Joseph, it was a journey of turmoil that led to the fulfillment of God's plan. And it didn't go another way. How should we live then when things are crazy? We might believe, we might believe that God is in control, that he's all-knowing, that he has a perfect will, his will is good. He orchestrates all things. We might believe this to be true. But what happens when things are crazy? How do we live? How should we live? There's a chapter in the Bible, and we're going to have to just go super quick for a moment before we draw to a close. There's way too much to talk about on this subject. But there's a chapter in the Bible. It's Jeremiah chapter 29. And it's a chapter some of you might know well. I suspect that you'll know one verse really well. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, you know it pretty well. God speaks through his prophet Jeremiah and he says, I know, it's a good thing, God knows. I know the plans I have for you. Yeah? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And this is how God speaks into his community. But I wonder, did you know that God said quite a few other things in that chapter to his people, that God spoke quite powerfully into that community. You see, that community that God was speaking to through Jeremiah, they were a people who had got things horribly wrong. They'd sinned against God. They'd broken his law over and over again. They'd rejected the possibility of living life with God. And they said, well, actually, we want to be in charge. We think we can do better, God. And of course, taking themselves out of God's blessing, they found themselves in a place of judgment. They found themselves in a place of vulnerability. 
they found themselves in a place of trouble. And so, many of them, they lost their land. They were exiled into a foreign land. Their country was ruled by another power, another people. Many lost their lives. It was a horrific circumstance. Into that circumstance, many people spoke because lots of people like to talk. And there were a few prophets. You read it for yourself. In Jeremiah chapter 28, you'll find one of them. Jeremiah 29, at the end, you'll find another. They've all got these crazy names. But they, they said they were hearing from God. They said that they had a word of hope. They said that they knew God's plan. And they said God's plan is that everything's going to be hunky-dory. Everything will be fine and dandy. Don't you worry. You haven't done anything wrong, really. And in just a moment, God will fix everything. Just a moment. Don't, don't worry. Don't invest in anything else. Just do as I say, and everything will be okay. But into the middle of this comes the real word of God for the people. See, Jeremiah, he's a man who's known as the weeping prophet. He really he felt the pain of his people. He felt the pain of the heart of God, seeing his plan be distorted. Seeing people pulling away from God. And Jeremiah speaks truth into this situation. He said, people are prophesying all sorts of nonsense. They're saying all sorts of nonsense about God's plan. What is God's plan? Jeremiah says this, he says, and you can read it for yourself in chapter 29. He says, actually, God's not going to make everything easy. God's not going to just fix everything quick. And everything's not going to be like it was before, at least not for a long time. Here's what you need to do. First up, make sure you are right with God. Trust in him. Worship him. Honor him with your lives. And then get on with things. Settle down where you are. Work hard. Raise great families. Invest in the place that you are, even though you'd rather be back home. Pray for where you are and don't badmouth it. Invest in it. Because as you do, you'll have the opportunity to raise your family and see the people of God grow and not fade. And for them, Jeremiah says, only then, after many years, will I come for you and take you home. I don't know whether you think that sounds like a message of hope or whether you think that sounds like a message of turmoil, but it was the true message of God. And it was borne out in their reality. I wonder, can we just look at one verse before we draw to a close? In verse 13 of that chapter, Jeremiah says this, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Who are you seeking? Really? With all of your heart. We talk of God and his will and his plans. I think all too often we look anywhere but God to see his will and his plans come to fruition. 
We all too quickly look to the personalities involved. And, you know, Jeremiah speaking to his people and there's all sorts of characters are going to be used by God to bring about his will. You know, you've got, you've got your Nehemiahs, you've got your Cyruses, your Artaxerxes and people like that. You've all sorts of names and characters, people of authority and people of lowliness, all sorts of characters. And we all too quickly look to personalities just like that. Here's my one and only indulgence in politics. I'm going to be even-handed, don't you worry. We look and we say to ourselves, oh, well, maybe in the will of God, maybe the EU's a bit like this. Or Brexit's a bit like that. Or we say Corbyn's a bit like this. Or Theresa May's a bit like that. And we say, well, maybe God is using Trump to do this. I know, even him. And we look to the personalities and we think that's where wisdom lies. We look to the policies and we think that they are the very revelation of the plan of God. What did Jeremiah tell us? You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. Christian, if you're looking this way and that, the truth is you will very quickly find not what is actually present, nor what is actually needed, but we'll find simply what we're looking for. You'll confirm yourself, your opinion, your personality. God says, would you look to me? Would you look to me? Would you listen to me? When we, as believers, not, don't look at the structures of the personalities involved, but look to the way and the will and the words and the wonders of our God. When we seek him with all our heart, then we will see in increasing measure the plan of God come to fruition in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, in our towns and cities across this nation, even across the nations. If the people of God will look to the God that they know knows all things, that they know has a good and perfect and pleasing will. When the people of God look to him and trust that his providence will enable them to play their part, then we'll see the plan of God come about. I wonder, Martin, would you come and lead us? Church, We live in a world which is it's plenty full of crazy. There's loads of it. And we want change, and rightly so. We've got to stop seeking it in all the wrong places. We spend far too much time seeking a more comfortable existence. We spend far too much time wanting to get out of Dodge and find a nicer place to be. We long for some real or imagined sense of home and nostalgia or an aspiration, which can be healthy, but not if it means that we aren't looking and living God's will. You are meant to long for a better place. You're a Christian. <laughs> you know there's a better place because you know Jesus. But you don't really get to go home until Jesus comes again. It'd be 70 years before the people Jeremiah was speaking to got to go home. 
and they just started to figure it out after about that. I reckon we can beat 70 years. Come on. Can we do it? (laughs) We're meant to long for home. It's only when Jesus comes, because to be perfectly with Jesus is where your home really is. So in the here and now, stop running this way and that, trying to find home if you're not running to Jesus. Stop listening to false prophets. There are many in our world. And they tell you if you just do this or change that or, dare I say it, vote this way or that way. If you do these things, then you'll get the restoration that you seek. Rather, can we invest in the word of God? Know his will and live it. That's why we gather together on Tuesday, isn't it? don't gather together on Tuesday you're missing out be in a lab be with people know his will and live it over and over and over again the Bible instructs us to live faithful steady honest hard working loving simple even ordinary lives because ordinary Christian lives are extraordinary in this world they really are They really are. Somebody promises you the extraordinary ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. I tell you, it won't be anything extraordinary. Be dull, partial, broken, lacking. If you will live the ordinary with Jesus, I promise you that the supernatural power of God will work absolutely extraordinary things through your life. Submit yourself to his ways. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. That's the Bible, by the way. It wasn't Greg just having a really good moment. That was the Bible. Trust in him. And wait for God's coming with eager anticipation. For while we wait still the sense of exile that comes this time is not for sin and separation from God he's brought us close but here we are still we're not at home yet we're not at home yet we're still in a place of exile but we can invest we can invest because God is calling us to build his kingdom in the here and now so that when he comes again what will he find what will he find the groom coming for such a feast of marriage will find a bride ready waiting and beautiful.